so much. All right. This morning, it's kind of funny how God just lines things up, right? I've had this topic on my heart to share for some time. And what's crazy is that in the prayer room and then almost all the words, even the songs, line right there with it. So before I get into my word, I just want to kind of read two passages and then we're going to get in. And this is going to be a little bit of an, um, a different kind of way that I speak. I feel like the Lord's just telling me to write these things down, read them, and turn it over to him. In a sense, today is D-Day. Before I move on, I want everybody to look at this clock real quick. Everyone see the time? Just remember, just remember those numbers. All right, Matthew 10, starting in verse 29, says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from, from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are not more valuable. Fear, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews 10 quite a bit in 11. In Hebrews 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near, say, draw near, with a true heart of, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Father, I thank you that you are faithful. And that as you speak, every word that you speak comes to fruition. It does exactly what you sent it out to do. It does not come back void or empty. And I thank you, Jesus, that you speak a better word. And that I can come boldly before the throne of grace with confidence and assurance that my Father does not turn me away but embraces and hears every plea, every cry, every request. And it's for his good pleasure to answer my request. I thank you. Holy Spirit, would you prepare our hearts today? Amen. Okay, bear with me as I just read, okay? Everyone okay? One or two things are going to happen. It may be both. I'll probably cry, or I'll get really excited to start preaching. The Lord doesn't want me to do that. So, in December 2020, my father was lying in a hospital ICU in the COVID wing, hooked up to a ventilator, fighting for his life. Some months prior to him getting sick, I had a dream where I was praying over my father, who for my whole life had struggled with health issues. And in this dream, the love of the father funneled through me and into my father, and I watched him get healed completely. I had received multiple prophetic words from different reliable people, along with words God had given me and the dreams I had that said that God has called me to be a healer, and I will pray for the sick, and they would recover, and the dead would be raised. That day I entered my, my dad's hospital room, full of faith that my father was about to wake up, pull the tube out, and he and I were going to go home that day. I had confidence. I had faith. I laid hands. 
I praised Jesus for the finished work of the cross. I took authority. I decreed and I declared. And after my father was still lying in his bed in a coma, on a ventilator, there was no change. Two days later was the day we were instructed that we would need to remove him from the ventilator since he had been on it for over three weeks. I walked back into his room, which is a challenge. This is back in the COVID days where you couldn't get anywhere close and they weren't happy that I did this. I walked back into his room and I laid my hands on my father. I had confidence, I took authority, I decreed, declared, I had faith and I praised Jesus for his finished work on the cross that purchased our healing and freedom. Again, my father remained the same. We approved the hospital staff to remove him from the ventilator. And I watched my father struggle to breathe. With each second he struggled, I was in the hallway watching and cheering him on to take a breath on his own. Inwardly screaming for Jesus to heal with my dad. With each second, each hope-filled cheer, I began to lose hope. I watched my father take his last breath, and my heart sank into a puddle. I'm not quite sure how, probably because I'm dumb. I'm very, very uh, stubborn. But I mustered up enough courage and faith to demand I go back into my father's hospital room and pray over him again. The hospital staff was quite confused, but seeing my determined eyes, they allowed me in. I entered my dad's room, tears flooding my eyes, but I had confidence, I had faith, I had assurance that Jesus heard my plea, that he was the God of the impossible and that I, could, was, and I was called to raise the dead. I laid my hands on proclaimed resurrection power of my father and thanked Jesus that all authority and power rested firmly in his hands and he defeated death. I waited a minute or two, but it felt like an eternity. And what I hoped would be the celebration of the first person I, through Jesus, raised from the dead, became a time I was forced to tell my dad a final goodbye. The days following, I had peace I could not explain. That only Jesus can give us. But I sank deep into hope deferred. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desire fulfilled as a tree of life. Some of the things that were spoken today, I've been feeling this on my heart. I sense that I'm not the only one that's had a difficult year, maybe a few years. Having high hopes that 2023 would be the year of the breakthrough where everything turned around, everything was great, and all the things we've been praying for, God was his blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. But at least for me, those high hopes dropped to the ground like a balloon popped by a needle. I believe the Lord wants to readdress those hopes and dreams, those promises, those things that you believed him for this morning to lift your head. Shortly after my father's death, I began seeing numbers 711, 712, 111, and 1111. Here's why I told you to remember those numbers. Every single day, multiple times a day. It's gotten so comical. Like, I tell my wife all the time, I send her little screenshots because I'll just happen to be driving down the road. I look at my phone, 11-11 or 7-11. It's just, and it's multiple times a day. I'm, like, walking into Food Lion, and what are their store hours? 7 to 11. What's my favorite grocery or uh, convenience store? 7-11. It's, like, so bizarre how God does it. I'm, like, looking at the Apple Music on my, as I'm driving down the road, and it's 7 minutes and 11 seconds are left. Or 
It's 11 minutes, an 11 second song. It's just every single day, multiple times a day for two years straight. It is crazy how God has been doing this. So as a numbskull that I just like laughed at at the beginning, and then I was like, oh, wait, God's probably talking to me. So I talked to our resident numerology expert, Diane, over here a couple years ago, and, I, and she's like, you should probably look into that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I should. So I began looking at these numbers, and, and I'm not going to bore you with what each number means individually. Um, that's something you should probably go in and look for, but I think God speaks various ways, and he knows how to get your attention. Um, so he spoke these numbers. I kept seeing them, and I knew that they weren't just individual. I knew they were paired. They were grouped. And so I also knew that it wasn't like, look at this individual number of seven, and this is what God's speaking to you. I knew that they represented passages in the Bible. You just know that you know, right? The Holy Spirit just kind of confirms that. And so I instantly started going through the whole Bible, right? Because that was my instruction. Go through every chapter, look up 711, 712, 111, 1111. I mean, I'm, I'm scrambling them all up. I may be maybe 71-2, you know, all those kind of things. I'm looking everywhere in the Bible. And I looked through every single one of them. And I don't know how I missed this for months, but I got brought back to Matthew 7, 11, And it says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then I was like, hmm, okay, God, I see you speaking. Let's look up 11, 11. So then I find Luke 11, 11 says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And I kept reading. The next two verses, it says, Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Needless to say, I was quite overwhelmed with what the Father was trying to teach me and how he was getting to my heart. Last two years, God has been restoring hope that I lost December 20th, 2020. Showing me his faithfulness and how true he is to his promises. He's been clearing, clearing up the mud of religion. I think a lot of times we don't realize it, but we've got a really thick lens of religion. And we don't even realize it. What was put onto us, the culture around us. And we see him through these, these muddy lenses. We see, honestly, we see him through the lenses of Moses and the other Old Testament who only saw a shadow of him. Instead of seeing the Father through the lens of Jesus, he came to reveal the Father fully to us. And he has been fixing my broken perspective of his nature. Like a spiritual chiropractor, he's been adjusting my view of him to align with the revelation found in Jesus. With each deeper revelation, it's been like he has a lasso around my heart and he's been pulling me closer and closer to his I don't have this in my notes, but I think, and I've talked about this at times, we go through hardship, and I think it's easy for us to say, oh, is the enemy attacking me? Or is the world we live in? And sometimes it's God. Sometimes God brings hardship into our life, knowing that it won't kill us. It will actually reprove us. Like, like James 1, that word for testing is not a temptation or a test. It's a reproving to make you stronger. He gives you revelation. It's going to get challenged. Not to break you, but to fortify you in that word. So when you get into a, don't be like me. You get sick. You go through a challenge. In the name of Jesus, get out of here, devil. You know, 
be careful. Process with the Lord. Is this you, Lord? Because if it's his will, he's got you. And he's going to walk you through that stormy weather. And on the other side, you're going to be stronger for it. I think too often we find ourselves hopeful for a situation and a need and then empty and left empty when it doesn't come to pass on our timetable. We receive a promise and or a revelation from God, but find ourselves immediately in stormy weather where we're being challenged over, that, over what he spoke. As I began to ponder this battle, the Lord took me to John 6 and Matthew 14, the account where Jesus feeds the 5,000. We know that's not just 5,000. That was just the men. So probably like 15, maybe 20. Who knows? I don't know how many kids they had back in those days, or at least one. Through this story, and Jesus, it even says in the word that Jesus was testing their faith from the beginning of the story. They see this multitude coming towards them. And Jesus is like, cool opportunity. Hey, Philip. How are we going to feed these people? And Philip's like, or he says, where are we going to feed these people? And he goes, how do you have enough money? How are we going to feed these? We're well, not going to be able to feed these people. We don't have enough money. And it's interesting that Jesus asked him where, but he came back with a human lack. And I think that the Lord was challenging him, where does your faith really lie? Where does your trust lie? We see a need before us. He's called us to come meet needs. Are we going to try to muster out of our own ability and create the solution? Or are we going to tap into a higher reality that our Father knows all our needs and he supplies everything we need according to his riches? Or are we going to look at our bank accounts? So the Lord started showing me deeper into this story. And then after they got done ministering, he then sends them out on the boat. It's very interesting. They had this wonderful miracle multiplication uh, event and then he sends them out into the water and they find themselves in a storm and then they find Jesus come walking to them and that would scare the crud out of me too if I saw some dude walking on water especially if I left him over there and I'm three miles in and Peter asked him Lord call me out on the water and the Lord agrees, come on. So he starts walking on water. And then he starts feeling and seeing the winds whip around him. He took his eyes off of Jesus. And he began to sink. He was doing what no other human had done besides Jesus. He's walking in the humanly impossible thing. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. I've experienced this so many times in my own journey with Jesus where he calls me out on the waters of the impossible for a short time. And I'm walking on the water with confidence. Then I start feeling the wind whip around my ears and waves beat against my legs. I take my eyes off of Jesus and I begin to think or begin to sink. How many promises have you heard from the Lord? You stepped out in faith to walk in them. And then you immediately feel the storm. And you start getting discouraged. Was this the Lord? Am I stepping out of his will? Is he there? Is, if, if he promised me that if I moved out into what he called me to do, he would be there. But I don't feel him here. How many times have you heard him promise? And time passes with no change. You start to question what you heard or even if you heard God correctly. Even at all. Was that me? Was that what I wanted? Was that my flesh? 
as time passes, you begin to lose hope that the promise would ever be fulfilled and you'll remain stuck in your situation. How many needs have we brought with confidence before his throne? Then watch the need become worse. And the situation become even more impossible. Am, am I the only one? Am I Y'all with me? Okay. Believing for restored marriages and lost children. Financial freedom and healing of the bodies. With true honesty and humility. How would you rate your trust in God to fulfill his promises? I recently heard this song. It's by a Christian artist. He wasn't talking about God. He was talking about girl. Um, it's a good song. I like it. <clears throat> but I felt the Holy Spirit convict me so strongly because I'm guilty of what this lyric says. I find it easy to love you, not so easy to trust you. How many times have we screamed to the heavens how much God's good and we love him and our affection and everything for him? And then a difficult situation arises and we wonder if he even cares. You're closer to me than my skin until a difficult situation. I'm in a hospital. Where are you, God? You said you wouldn't leave me nor forsake me. I don't feel your presence here. I don't feel peace here. How many countless songs and praises have we made to him but doubt he'll actually move on our behalf? I've discovered that the past three years, the Lord has been pushing against what I really believe to reprove me and pull me closer in intimacy. Sometimes the hardship isn't his punishment. Sometimes it's his discipline because he loves you too much to leave you thinking you love him, but really not when the rubber hits the road. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 32. Before I get into that, the past three years, or, so, or past three months or so, the Lord has been had me in the book of Hebrews, and he has paused me in Hebrews 10 11, and these passages have sh shed so much light on faith and offer the importance of and the blueprints to living in the life, living this life of faith in Hebrews 10, verse 32. Don't you remember those days right after the light shined in your hearts? You endured a great marathon season of suffering hardships, yet you stood your ground. And at times you were publicly and shame, shamefully mistreated, being persecuted for your faith. Then at other times you stood by side, stood side by side with those who preached the message of hope. You sympathized with those in prison, and when all your belongings were confiscated, you accepted the violation with joy, convinced that you possess a treasure growing in heaven that could never be taken from you. Have you ever felt that? Like you had that great joy of enlightenment in the Holy Spirit, that the Lord is who he says he is. And you walk in that for a little bit, and then hardship comes. And then you start wondering and pondering, and your faith gets challenged, and you, where are you, God? So don't lose your bold, courageous faith, for you are destined for a great reward. You need the strength of endurance to reveal the poetry of God's will and then receive the promise in full. In the ESV, it says you're in need of endurance. You need to keep hoping. Don't waver. Going back to earlier in chapter 10, where he talks about hold 
steadfast, the confidence in God's promises. For soon and very soon, the one is appearing that will come without delay. And he also says, my righteous ones will live from my faith. But if fear holds them back, my soul is not content with them. But we are certainly not those who are held back by fear and perish. For we are among those who have faith and experience true life. And then the famous 11-1. Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to, rep- to prove what is still unseen. It's interesting that Dr. Simmons in the Passion Translation in verse um, 38, it says the righteous live by his faith, by Abba's faith, by Yahweh's faith. I believe too often we, we tend to live from a mustering of our own faith. And if it's something we create, it, as if it's something we create within us, as if the need hangs on our ability to mustard, to create the mustard seed of faith to move the mountain. And how many times have we seen a big need that comes to us and we have faith and it doesn't happen and then we wonder, do I have enough faith? But then you feel weary and you're wore out because you created that faith. You stirred yourself up. I'm not against stirring yourself up in that kind of way. What I am saying is that you felt that you had to make the need disappear and have a solution. And it wasn't from God because you're coming from your own strength. I remember hearing good-hearted people informing my dad that he just didn't have enough faith to receive his healing. Heard this multiple times, which is religion. You didn't have enough faith for your healing, brother. Or you got some secret sin in there. God would bless you if you would just blah, 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 blah. Have y'all heard this stuff? And it hurts our heart and it pushes us away from the nature of God. Do we see that found in Jesus? Do we see the woman caught in adultery going, ah, Jesus, ah, or was she desperate for a savior? Did she find a friend in that moment where men were trying to stone her to death? Maybe some of you have heard the same things or felt guilty and condemned that your faith wasn't strong enough because you felt it rested solely on what you could create. Hebrews 10.38 has been the nail started by Holy Spirit to restore hope once again in my heart. But it's been Hebrews 11.11 that the Holy Spirit has hammered deep into my soul to restore hope, faith, and trust in the faithful one. Hebrews 11, 11 says, Sarah's faith embraced God's miracle power to conceive, even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise. She tapped into his faithfulness. Another translation renders it the pastor this way. She conceived and bore a child when it was humanly impossible. She believed that God would be faithful to his promise and gave that belief authority over her life. Sarah looked beyond her human strength and ability and trusted the one who gave her the humanly impossible promise. I think sometimes we get a promise or revelation from God and and it's like, whoa, this is way bigger than us. And we realize it's way bigger than us, but then we try to walk in it, try to make it manifest, but it's way bigger than you. It's way bigger than your human, your human efforts. You can't pray enough into it. You can't fast enough into it. 
you have to lean into his embrace and allow him to open that door so you walk into it with peace and rest, not striving. She found Abba to be faithful and good, and she tapped into that truth to place her trust and her faith in. His faithfulness, his goodness, his true nature found solely, only, the only person in Jesus. On the water with Peter, in barrenness with Sarah, in the hospital with me, my eyes, our eyes, have to stay on him. He is good and he is faithful. He has zero ounce of darkness found in him. He doesn't punish. He does discipline. And in that, you still feel loved. You still feel he can be approached. You can still feel his arms are stretched out, wanting to embrace you. He never pushes away, and he never beats. As you can see, the things that were spoken in the songs we sang today line up with this. We have to redirect our eyes back to Jesus and see that he is still good. We can't have any, any view of darkness of the Father in our eyes, and our hearts, because we will shy away. Like Adam and Eve, we will have to cover ourselves and get away from his presence. And he comes running for them. So the, here's just a few things, and we're going to wrap up. Um, a few things that the Lord has shown me that have been the bomb in the midst of a hope-deferred heart. This has helped me. First thing is you've got to stay present today. God's given us enough mercy to handle everything we encounter today only. We can't future trip. Lamentations 3, verse 22, 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Most of our heart's anxiety and stress come from us traveling to the future where we don't have enough grace and mercy to deal with it. We have to stay in today. So that bill that's due, don't worry about it. Is not two sparrows sold. Your father knows your need. The second thing, have a great or have a heart of gratitude. You can't create this. This is not something you can discipline yourself or muster up. It's something he gives you, something you must ask for, like the Holy Spirit. A heart of gratitude. Every good and perfect gift is from him, including the ability to be grateful. He does the heavy lifting. When we focus on and thank God for all the blessings we have, it strengthens our soul, and we remain in the light as he is in the light. Isaiah 12, verse 4 through 5, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim that his name is exhausted, exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done glorious, gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. If you feel yourself in a place of anxiety or depression or loneliness or whatever dark space you want to name and claim it, fear, whatever, start praising him. Start counting your blessings. And I don't mean that in like some Max Lucado devotional. I mean like truly think about it and start from a genuine heart. Thank you, Lord, that I have this and you've done this. And I remember when you took care of this and when I saw that happening. Thank you, Lord. And, not, and see if your heart doesn't start shifting and changing. 
You start feeling a little bit lighter and the burdens start falling off. The third thing, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just stuff I could quickly think of. Remember his faithfulness. Remember those times when you felt hopeless and then God. He moved on your behalf and met the need. Think about how he's moved in others' lives. Read God's truth in the Bible. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He works all things for your good. He disciplines his children. And he doesn't work things for your calamity and your harm. All his discipline, even his wrath, is all for restoring you.